Father, we turn our hearts to you now. And we pray for the blessing that you have intended today. We turn our hearts to, an, to you and ask that you would open them to receive beyond words what it is that you are saying to your church, your beautiful church. I pray for the glory of the Lord to be revealed and for the holiness of his presence to come in and, and to make us worship in a way, to gift us with a worship that is from heaven itself. I pray, Father, that the word of the Lord would be quick and effective, swift to battle. That you would pour forth mighty gifts to your people, gifts of enablement, Lord. And as we receive this world, word, we lift you up in the beauty of all that you are, in the goodness of your heart, in the blessing that you are to us, that we would not diminish you further, but exalt in you. We bring you praise, O oh God. Praise, Father, to establish a throne in our midst that you may be enthroned among us and do what you want to do. We pray for the quick, effective movement of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, so much for who you are. Amen and amen. Let's remain standing. Hear the word of the Lord. On the 21st day, of the seventh month. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty, and this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant Peace declares the Lord Almighty. Hallelujah. Amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the living God this morning. Well, good morning and welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship again. My name is Pastor Jim Olson, and I have the privilege of serving here at Bethel Christian Fellowship as our lead pastor here of our congregation in St. Paul and the senior pastor over our all-nations family of churches. It was 25 years ago, I believe this very weekend, when I came here to candidate to become the pastor here of Bethel Christian Fellowship. Um, it's been my honor 
each year, starting in 1991, so this will be the 25th for those of you that have counted the number of theme messages on the front. This will be the 25th theme message of the year. And for those of you that are new here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, um, this is uh, a significant and important opportunity for us together to hear the voice of the Lord for what he has to speak to us for this coming year. So each year, God speaks to us in ways that are um, always uh, his ways and not our ways. It's always um, his thoughts, not our thoughts. And oftentimes we discover that as he brings us a prophetic word, uh, as he does during these times, that sometimes the, the, the way that ends up working its way into our life together is different than what we expect. I mean, that happens virtually every year. And um, so, but I'm so excited to once again be sharing with you a theme message, a prophetic word, a trajectory for where I believe that the Lord is taking us. And this has been a word that's actually been in my heart for probably three years. God often gives me, sometimes I don't hear until the, the year of, but sometimes I hear kind of uh, a, a flow for, for multiple years, and I've heard this flow for multiple years, and coming up to this year, 2015, a year of. Um, so it's connected as all of the themes are, with previous year's themes. And so this one is quite directly connected to our theme from last year, which you're going to find out just a little bit later in the message. So last year was a year of growing maturity. And I don't know about you, but I have found it to be true. I have found it to be a year of growing maturity in my own life. And part of that growing maturity has come through hard things and hard times and difficult circumstances and hard situations. So that's one of the ways that God grows us in maturity, right? Amen? All right, not a way that we all like to hear about, but it's a way that it actually happens and unfolds in our lives. And so this year, like I said, all of these are kind of threads woven into a fabric. And so if you want to just take time and and at some point, just kind of look through, pray through. Um, and I think a lot of these theme messages are online uh, that you can go back and kind of hear what the Lord's been speaking to us over a period of many years. All right. So um, I want to begin this morning just kind of pulling out the lens um, and looking at the big picture for a moment. For some of you, this is old news, but I hope it's fresh news again this morning because I really want us to have the big picture so that when we come to the specific picture of what the Lord's speaking to us today, we've got the big picture in mind. So I want to talk about who we are as a congregation and what we're called to be. In fact, when I came here 25 years ago, that was the specific task that had been given to me. The task was to help the congregation rediscover a sense of identity and destiny, who we are and where we're going. And through a time and a season of, of fasting and prayer and discernment and dialogue together, God eventually revealed to us very clearly what our calling here at Bethel Christian Fellowship is. Our calling is to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. We are called to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. That's going to become 
I want you to have that phrase going through your mind when we get to this year's theme word, 2015, a year of which we'll come to. All right, so um, that's two torments for those of you keeping score. All right, the desert and the parched land will be glad, Isaiah 35. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the rose, it will burst into bloom, and it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. And the glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon, and they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Over 50 years ago, Helen Jepson, who was the second pastor here of Bethel Christian Fellowship, Pastor Helen received a word that Bethel Christian Fellowship at the time it was called Bethel Temple, that Bethel would blossom like a rose in the desert. And it was this particular passage of Scripture in Isaiah 35 which informed that prophetic word which she had received. The second Scripture upon which we build the foundation of our vision and our mission here at Bethel Christian Fellowship is found also in Isaiah, Isaiah 56, 6 and 7. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servant, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now I've shared with you before, but let me remind you again and for those of you that are new, several years ago the Lord Really, I mean, this was many years ago the Lord spoke this scripture to us. It was back in around 1993, 94 that we really heard this word that we were called to be a house of prayer for all nations. And over the years, we've watched that unfold as God has brought us people here from many, many, many different nations. And I I remember a few years ago, and I've shared this before, but let me remind you again for those of us that that are perhaps native-born here in America. We sometimes think, and we can have this perspective, and I know that I had this perspective. I was like, oh, God, it's so wonderful that you're bringing all of these people, all of these, and I, in my head, I don't think I said foreigners, but, you know, all these folks who are from other lands, that you're bringing them here to this house of prayer for all nations. And the Lord very clearly spoke to me and said, uh, you are a foreigner too. <laughs> Because all of us, I mean, this passage is speaking, anyone who in this, in this room who's a Gentile <laughs> is a foreigner. <laughs> so we are all foreigners who God has gathered. And when we together collectively bind ourselves to him, to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep his Sabbath and who hold fast to his covenant, he brings to his holy mountain and gives them joy. There's that joy. Life and joy in his house. And his glory is there. And he accepts our burnt offerings and our sacrifices in his house of a prayer for all nations. And that's us. We're his sacrifice. We're the living sacrifices. So, given this, our identity is built around these three things. First of all, as a house. Our identity is built around hospitality, being a place to belong, around prayer of spirituality, being a place to believe, and that all nations as a missionality, a place to become. And we talk about it often as a triangle, in, up, and out. God has called us into community with one another, into a place of belonging, of building hospitality 
with one another and receiving all who come into our midst through prayer, passionately pursuing God and hosting his presence among us and then going out into the world missionally, all nations, this is a place to become all that God has called us to be. And we exist for those who are not yet here. We exist for those who aren't yet here. (laughs) We don't just exist for us. You know, Chris was saying earlier, talking about the expansion, that's why we do what we do. We're continuing to expand in ministry into the fullness of where God is calling us as his people. Then there is the destiny. The destiny is that radiating life, and life is irresistible. His life is irresistible, and his joy is infectious. Have you ever figured that out? Have you ever seen that? I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I've shared with, again, I've shared many of these things with you before, but I'm reminding you again, we're rehearsing some things that we know. If you were to ask me, What is one thing that you would say about who Jesus is? If you had to describe him in one phrase, one word, what would that word be? And I would say, Jesus is life-giving. Wherever he went, he brought life. When dead stuff touched him, he didn't get, you know, he didn't get tainted by the dead stuff. The dead stuff became alive, right? And so as the church... We have this irresistible life within us that God intends for us to extend into the world around us. And a joy. Have you ever been around joyful people? Joyful people are infectious. They just are. They infect us with the joy of the Lord. And we are to be an infectious people. He gives us joy in his house of prayer. Now, over the last two, three, four Five years. It's been longer than that, but really in these last three years or so, God has really begun to give us an even expanded vision as we begun to discover what it means to be a family of churches together, the all-nations family of churches. Previously, we talked about it as the Bethel family of churches, but then in conversation with our pastors, we discovered that, well, that sounds like somehow everybody, you know, it sounds like everybody's dependent upon Bethel, but, but actually we are an independent family of churches, an interdependent family of churches, and so we are the all-nations family of churches, which is currently seven congregations, but we believe that there are many more coming. That's why we're taking church planting offerings once a month, just to kind of prepare our hearts and prepare our pocketbooks for what God has for us as we keep spreading out. We, together, and this is our purpose, mission statement, developed together in collaboration with our all-nation family of churches, pastors, and leaders, we are called to multiply life-giving and joy-filled churches together. We are called to multiply life-giving and joy-filled churches together. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7, again, is one of those key scriptures for us, as well as 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare his praise, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So our identity and destiny together is that we are a family. As God's chosen people, we share life together. We are churches as God's royal priesthood pursuing God's truth and the Spirit's life for all nations. We, as God's holy nation, 
extend God's kingdom in our communities and to the nations. There it is again, in, up, and out. So similarly, in in many ways, the DNA that's here at Bethel Christian Fellowship is also a DNA that's a part of our life together as the all-nations family of churches, multiplying life-giving and joy-filled churches together. All right? Everybody with me so far? Okay. I know, this is not the most perhaps exciting portion of the message, but you're going to get there, all right? But we need to have that context to understand what God is speaking to us prophetically. Because that's part of, in in fact, part of the growing maturity that we've been walking through together is connected to this all-nations family of churches. Because we're not like other congregations or other movements where perhaps, you know, I, I often say this, you can often walk into a church, and this is not a criticism, this is simply an observation, but you can walk into churches and find out pretty quickly whether you fit or you don't fit, right? Sociologically, there's lots of different, you know, cues that you have, but here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, we believe God's called us to something somewhat unique in terms of, but it's not unique to scripture, but it seems to be unique in our country, and that is the call to really be this mosaic, and to do that requires a certain level of maturity on all of our parts. Because not everybody's going to look like you, think like you, act like you, do like you do, and you're family. All right? Here we are. We're family together, growing in maturity. And that calling to be going out, I mean, we're not a, we're, let me be just really clear, and we talk about this in our, in our doorway to ministry class you know, in, in America, and this is, again, an observation, which is generally true, but not specifically true in every instance, so I want to be clear about that, but it's generally true that we live in a pretty consumer church culture. What can you do to serve me? And if I don't like what's on the buffet here, I can find another place that has different foods on the buffet that will feed me better. But we're not called to be a consumer congregation. We're called to be a contributing congregation. So we're not interested. I'm not interested in huge crowds. We're interested in contributing disciples, growing us, in developing us into fully mature followers of Christ. All right? So just giving you the heads up on that. All right, so... That's been part of what we've been discovering over the last few years. Now, again, in 2012 was a year to to dream. In 2013 was the year to engage. In 2014, it was the year of growing maturity. And as many of you remember, the, the prophetic scripture for the last 15 years or so that's kind of been informing and kind of been a been a foundational backdrop to these uh, prophetic words has come out of Haggai. And the prophetic instruction that I want to focus on as it relates to last year and this year, the last couple of years and this year, is this portion of Haggai 2, 4b to 5. So if you, you know, this is a place that you could continue to kind of meditate on and ask the Lord to give you more instruction out of. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. 
So that, those words that we have highlighted, bolded today, are specifically connected to this year's theme in 2015. For I am with you, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Now it's interesting, extra sermon points available. Can somebody tell me when was Haggai prophesying? When, when was he giving his prophetic word? Around what time or what was going on? What, what biblical historical books in the Old Testament is the prophetic word of Haggai connected to? Anybody know? Yeah? Thank you for looking that up in your notes. All right. But which, is, which prophetic books? What was this time? Okay, Norm, louder. All right. It was during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. The time when, you know, Jerusalem had been completely and the temple had been completely destroyed and the people were coming back and they were beginning the process of rebuilding. And then this word came from Haggai to encourage them to continue on in the work that they had begun. Now there's another historical book that's right near that same time. Can anybody tell me what that was? Ezra and Nehemiah and what's the other one? Esther. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, is the prophetic picture of Esther. So if you got your Bible, you can go there, but you don't really need to, because I'm going to tell you the story this morning. And so kids, I'm really glad that you're here, and I want you to kind of focus in now, if you would, because I want to tell you a story this morning that is incredibly cool. All right, so everybody sit back for story time with Pastor Jim. All right, here we go. The garden looked magnificent. The marble pillars that rose from the ground were hung with white and blue linen, fastened with cords of purple and white to silver rings on the marble columns. Around about there were couches of gold and silver set on a mosaic pavement of marble and pearl. Do you got that in your mind? Can you picture this? Marble columns, beautiful fabrics, Gold and silver couches on a floor of marble and pearl. And all the nobles and the officials and the military leaders and the princes of Media and Persia were in attendance drinking from goblets of gold. Each goblet unique. Every single goblet was unique. Each drinking from these goblets of gold in the vast enclosed garden of King Xerxes' palace in the city of Susa. For 180 days. How long is 180 days? Six months. He had displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty, culminating in this seven-day extravagant banquet. Now, in another part of the palace, his queen, Queen Vashti, was giving a banquet for the ladies. Now, suddenly, on the last day of the banquet, the king ordered his servants to bring the queen before him so that he could show off her beauty. Now, a few minutes passed, and the servants came back. And they spoke to the king, who became furious and called together his lawyers. Soon, all knew that the queen had refused to present herself before all of the men assembled. So after some consultation and discovery of what should we do, an edict was proclaimed banishing Queen Vashti. 
But now, there was a problem. Who can tell me what the problem was? Queen Vashti was banished. Now what's the problem? There's no queen. The king's got to have a queen. So it was decided that a search should be made for a new queen. And commissioners were appointed to bring in every beautiful unmarried girl in the kingdom. So they brought in all of the beautiful ones to the kingdom, from the kingdom. Well, in the city of Susa, there lived a Jewish man named Mordecai, an official of the king's gate, whose father had been carried into exile by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And Mordecai had a cousin named Esther, whom he had raised because her parents were dead. So when the search was on for a new queen, Esther, who the Bible says was lovely in form and feature, was one of the girls brought to the palace. Now, the palace officials didn't know that Esther was Jewish, and she immediately won favor with them. So when she was finally brought to the king, into the presence of the king after many months, he was attracted to her more than all of the other women, and she won his favor and and approval more than any of the other girls, and he made her queen, proclaimed a holiday, and threw another banquet. King Xerxes liked to eat, and he liked to have banquets. Now, Shortly after that, right after Esther was named queen, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate when he overheard two of the king's officers plotting to assassinate the king. He told what he heard to Queen Esther, who told the king, giving credit to Mordecai, and when the report was investigated, it was found to be true, and the officials were hung, and the events were recorded in the annals of the king. Now remember that, because that's going to come and be really important in just a little while. All right? So Mordecai found out a plot to assassinate the king, told Esther, who told the king, who gave credit to Mordecai, and it was written down in the annals of the king. Now, nine years pass. King Xerxes is still emperor. Esther is still queen. Mordecai is still living in the city of Susa. At this time, King Xerxes elevated a man named Haman, the Agagite, to be the position of prime minister. By law, all the other officials were commanded to kneel down and pay honor to Haman. But Mordecai, the Jew, would not. Why do you think Mordecai would not bow down to Haman? Somebody, child, some child, tell me. Why wouldn't Mordecai bow down to Haman? Haman. What's that? Because we're children of God, and so why, why, why not bow down to Haman then? Bow down only to God. So we're going to bow down only to God. So he said, no, I'm not going to bow down to Haman. So Haman was enraged. But rather than just killing Mordecai, he devised a plan to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom. So he went to the king and told him this story. He said, well, there are people in your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different. They do not obey the king's law. You shouldn't tolerate them. If you will issue a decree to destroy them, I'm going to put 1,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry this out. And the king agreed. And he said to Haman, you keep the money and do what you want with the people. So the decree was written out. All the Jews in the land 
were to be annihilated on one single day. December, we even know what the day is. December 13th, 474 B.C. On December 13th, 474 B.C., all the Jews were to be annihilated. Well, when Mordecai and all the Jews heard about this, they went into mourning with sackcloth and ashes, fasting, weeping, wailing. When Queen Esther's attendants told her about Mordecai, she sent one of them to find out what was wrong. Mordecai explained the whole story to the man, urging him to explain it all to Esther and urging her to go into the king's presence and plead with him for her people. Well, when told of his request, Esther again sent her attendant to Mordecai, explaining this to him. Every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned will immediately be put to death unless what? Anybody know? Unless what happens? If you came into the king of the court, if you came into the court of the king without an invitation, you were to be put to death unless what happened? Anybody know? Unless he puts his scepter, which is why we've got the picture here, his golden scepter, if he extends his golden scepter to the petitioner, then they will not be killed. Esther said, it's been 30 days since the king has called me into his presence. So, she's, so Mordecai heard what Esther had to say, and this was his response to her, and this is a very famous passage, some of you know this. Mordecai says, do not think, because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Say say that, for such a time as this. After hearing this and pondering his words, Esther sent this reply. Well, gather together all the Jews in Susa and fast for me three days and nights without food or drink. And I and my maid will do the same, and then I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. On the third day, Queen Esther put on her royal robes, stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing there, he extended what? His golden scepter. What is your request, Queen Esther? Up to half of the kingdom, and it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, Esther replied, let the king and his prime minister, Haman, come today for a banquet I have prepared for him. Then I will answer the king's question. So another banquet happens. At this banquet, the king again asked Esther, what is your request? Well, if the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to another banquet I will prepare to them. These people do nothing but banquet. All right. Then I will answer the king's question. So Haman went away from the banquet, pleased, until he saw Mordecai at the gate, and again he was filled with rage, but passed by and went home to his family. He told his wife and friends what had happened that day, including his anger at Mordecai. And his wife 
suggested that he build a gallows 75 feet tall and asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai hung on it. Well, that same night, the king, King Xerxes, couldn't fall asleep. So he ordered, now, I guess this is what kings do if you can't sleep. He ordered the book of Chronicles about his reign to be sent to him. Let's, let's, as long as I can't sleep, remind me of all the great things I've done. So as they read to him, it was found, recorded, that Mordecai had exposed a plot. Remember? Told you earlier it was important. To assassinate the king and no honor had been given to him. Well, right at that moment, Haman was passing through, so the king called him in. And he asked Haman, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now, Haman thought the king wanted to honor him. So he said, well, he should be brought royal robes that the king has worn, ride on a horse that the king has ridden with a royal crest on his head. Then that man should be led throughout the city by one of the king's nobles yelling, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king said, and do exactly what you just suggested for Mordecai. Well, Haman was mortified <laughs> at that thought. But he had to obey the king, and he robed Mordecai and led him through the streets, yelling, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Well, when he had, was done, he rushed home, but was immediately called away to the king's banquet. Again, the king asked, Queen Esther, what is your request? She answered, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life, spare my people, for they are to be destroyed and annihilated. The king replied, where is the man who would do such a thing? And Esther points and says, the adversary and man is this vile Haman. Well, the king got up in a rage and walked out into the palace garden. Haman stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. When he came back in, he saw Haman leaning over Esther. That's not what you do to the king's queen. Nobody touched my wife. And he became even more enraged and had Haman immediately taken away. And when they said, what should we do? They said, hang him. And they said, well, there's a gallows right outside of Haman's house, 75 feet tall, brand new built. That's where Haman was hung. So that same day, that very same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. The king gave his signet ring, which he had given to Haman, over to Mordecai and put him in charge of his whole estate. Then Esther fell at the feet of the king, weeping and begging for the opportunity to write a new edict the king extended his gold scepter again to Esther, and she arose and stood before him and said, if it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks that it is the right thing to do, and if he's pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatch of Haman. 
Though the old one could not be revoked because it carried the king's name and seal, a new edict was written giving the Jews the right to assemble and protect themselves. Even as the news went out, Mordecai emerged from the palace dressed in splendor and the people celebrated. And then when the day came, remember the date? December 13th, 474 B.C. The Jews assembled and when the people came, To annihilate them, the Jews fought. And in two days, they killed 75,000 of their enemies. They rounded up Haman's sons, ten princes. They were hung the next day. And Queen Esther and Mordecai then declared an annual celebration called Purim for the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies. And as the month when their sorrow was turned to joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. Thus ends the story, but now let's talk about some application. I want to look at four principles from Esther's life which are going to be important to understand our posture as we prepare for the word that the Lord has for us in 2015. Four words that I want you to have embedded in your spirit this year. The first word is this, humility. Humility. One way we can define humility is this. It is a profound awareness of one's own inadequacy and a profound awareness of God's adequacy. The first principle that we talk about in our leading leadership and training, our leaders and training apprenticeship program, is this very thing. The very first fundamental principle of leadership in the kingdom of God is having a profound awareness of your own inadequacy and a profound awareness of his adequacy. Every leader throughout all of the generations, if you read the scriptural uh, historical accounts, every leader had this profound sense of their own inadequacy. That humility that Esther displayed was a key in her posture to receive from the king what she needed to receive in order to accomplish why God had placed her for such a time as that. Same for us. Second word is availability. Who knows but that God has placed you here for such a time as this. Availability really has to do with a selfless positioning of oneself for kingdom service. Those words are chosen carefully. Those are the words that I feel like God wants to speak into our spirit this year. I, think, I believe that God is calling us individually and collectively as a, as a house here, as Bethel Christian Fellowship in our all-nations family of churches. By the way, all of the pastors will be sharing this message in all of the different congregations throughout the day today. Pastor uh, Kishore is back sharing the same message or you know, his interpretation of the same message back in the Himalayan Christian Fellowship and throughout the day we'll be sharing this message. This message will be going out to all of the different congregations. 
Because I believe that God is calling us collectively and individually to a selfless positioning of ourselves for kingdom service. This is that movement from consumer to contributor. From selfish consuming to selfless contributing. This is what he is calling us into. And it requires an availability. Thirdly, responsibility. Responsibility. Responsibility means a willingness to engage faithfully in one's position of influence. In real estate, they talk about it from going from a renter mentality to an owner mentality. And a renter mentality is somebody else, it's somebody else's responsibility. They'll fix, they'll fix it, they'll take care of it. In an ownership mentality, it's my responsibility. I need to take action and do something. This is connected to this growing maturity. In growing maturity, we learn to take responsibility that really it's ours. We must take responsibility for the places of influence that God has positioned us in. And we need to engage faithfully in those places. And fourthly, when the first three are in place, when there's humility and availability and responsibility, there comes an authority. A confidence to step out in God's favor with courage and boldness. I mean, aren't you amazed at Esther? She was a young girl. You know, I mean, nine years, she was probably still, she was a young adult at the oldest. But she was willing to, to step out confidently in God's favor with courage and boldness. And I believe that throughout this year, God is going to be giving us as individuals and us as a congregation, opportunities to step out with confidence and boldness in God's favor. So in this year, 2015, this is the word that the Lord has put in my heart. And it's been a word in my heart for some time. But this year, 2015, I believe God has declared that it is a year of favor. Hallelujah. A year of favor. Let me note a couple of things. Julie, thank you. So Julie's made the banner this year. And I want you to notice the golden scepter reaching down. And when you come into worship this year, be thinking about in that picture of Esther coming to the king and the king extending his golden scepter. And I want you to notice what's on the end of that scepter and it's, it's artistic, so let me define it for you. What's on the end of that scepter is that red rose that is Bethel Christian Fellowship blooming like a rose in the desert. So it's connected prophetically, right prophetically into our calling as a congregation. And then Greta's beautiful. Greta, in case people, they just saw Julie, so now I get to embarrass you again. Greta, would you stand up, please? I am so grateful for her. Thank you and her artistic ability. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. And just notice the beauty, the, the scepter of the cross. 
You see that? The scepter coming down and the crown and the favor going out from the scepter spreading and the king and the glory. You get that whole picture. So you're going to be seeing that bulletin cover at various times throughout the year. And when you see that bulletin cover, let it remind you the year of favor. All right. So we're going to bring it in for a landing here. The year of favor. Some key scriptures. Esther 2, 15, verse B. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. Now, here's the direct connection. The next scripture is the direct connection with last year growing maturity. Luke 2.52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. As he grew in wisdom and stature, he grew in favor. Acts 2, here's the people of God together collectively. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, enjoying the favor of all the people. Listen, favor is God's grace flowing to and through his people. They're actually the same word Grace and favor have the same root word in them. This is not something we achieve. It's something we receive from him. It's his favor flowing to us and through us. One other scripture. Luke 2, 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jubilee! So here's what, if, you, if you're taking sermon notes, please write this down. Because I believe this is what the specific Prophetic instruction to us this year is this. We are called to leverage the favor of God for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. So think of that scepter like a, a lever, a leverage. It's God flowing to us and through us to, to, to change. So in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your household, in a nation somewhere across the world, somewhere God is wanting to pour out his favor into you so that it can flow through you for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. So be really clear about this because as, as we dialogued about this as, as family of church pastors, we wanted to be very clear in our communication. The year of favor is not the year of bless me more, Lord. It's the year of blessing more. It's the year of his favor flowing into and through us for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. It means his favor is poured out to bring rest for the harassed and helpless. His favor is poured out to bring release for the bound. His favor is poured out to bring restoration for the broken. That's what's embedded in Jubilee. Rest, release, and restoration. 
And that is what He is calling us to bring into a wounded and waiting world. Do you hear the word of the Lord this morning? Some of you. If you heard the word of the Lord this morning, say amen. Amen. If you hear the word of the Lord this morning, say amen. amen. It's a year of favor. I'm so anticipating what God's going to do with this One of our newer members, Andy Mork, who's also an artist in a variety of ways, visual and music, God gave him a song, I mean, like, gave him the whole song connected to this. He he became, he joined our artistic team this year, and and God gave him a song, and we're going to sing that in a moment, but I want to leave you with this scripture as they get ready to share this with us. This is a pastoral benediction. I love this scripture, Psalm 90, verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Open your hands. Lord Jesus, hear the prayer of our heart this year. In this year of favor, we are asking, oh God, that you would unleash your church to accomplish that which you have called her to do. Lord, you have given us your grace. You have given us your favor. You have extended the scepter to us. Now, Lord, as we make our petitions before you, may they be petitions on behalf of the harassed, the helpless, the bound, and the broken. To bring, Lord, use us, leverage our lives to bring rest and release and restoration into lives around us. Oh God, oh God, we pray. Thank you. And now may you be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down. Every day of your life for his glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.